We believe and have always believed in this country that man was created in the image of God, that he was given talents and responsibilities and was instructed to use them to make this world a better place in which to live. And you see, this is the really great thing of America. It's time to discover what binds us together, and finding it has the power to transform our world. That's what I believe. How about you? Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Believe. I'm Doug DeVos, and I'm thrilled to be live here with Matt Scogan, who is the president of Hope College. Hope is located just uh, next door in Holland, Michigan. And so, uh, Matt, welcome to the studio. Wow. Thanks, Glad Doug. to have it's, you it's here. It's really an honor to be here. I see your dad's book on the shelf. Absolutely. So uh, it's great to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Good, good. Well, yeah. this live thing is great. We've done everything else kind of virtually for the most part. We've done a couple <laughs> live ones. So uh, this is really nice. So this is you're like a superstar well, coming in here. I don't know about that, but it wasn't too far of a drive to take the you know 35 miles or whatever from Holland to Grand Rapids, so it's great to be here in person. All right. Yeah. Well, good yeah. deal. Well, Matt, we're so we're thrilled that you're here, but we want to spend a little time talking about higher ed. We want to yeah, talk great. about how does it get out of this kind of it, the sense of potentially being stuck. It's got yeah. this status quo. It's got you know so many strengths and benefits, but some weaknesses yes. and challenges yeah. and yeah. and. Um, we, we've talked a lot uh, on this on this program on Believe about higher ed uh, and, and the different kind of perspectives and how to look at it. So I'm looking forward to having a chance to kind of hear from you. I am so excited. So one of the things I've been following your podcast, and of, co of course, I love the name and I know it's connected to your dad's book, but I come from a place called Hope. And one of the things we believe at Hope is that yeah. problems are solvable. Yeah. Uh, we believe in a God who says, with me, all things are possible. And we want to be a, pe uh, a community of people who run toward problems. And so I love what you're doing with the podcast and everything that Believe uh, stands for. Well, I got to tell you, it's been so much fun. I've learned so much and I've just enjoyed these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this yeah. one here. Me too. Me so too. first, you got to start out, you know, as we dive in with your story. Because, you know, you, you didn't follow the traditional route to become a college president. Uh, you, you had a few other things going on. And, and I, so, you know, start going back even as a student at yeah, Hope right. and, and how your journey and how Hope was so influencing or so influential in your personal journey yeah. and then kind of how yeah. you found your way back here. So help our audience kind of get a picture of how you uh, well, ended it, in this yeah, position. It, it, not to overstate it, but I think in many ways my story is the story of uh, of an American dream. Yeah. Uh, I grew up a middle-class kid in Portage, Michigan. My mom was a middle school science teacher. My dad was a mid-level chemist yeah. at a company called Upjohn, which is now part of Pfizer. Right. Uh, we had to really stretch. I went to Hope College as a student. My family really had to stretch to make it affordable. My dad took out a second mortgage on the home to do it. I was the oldest of four uh, four kids, so my parents had not just me to worry about, but my, my three younger siblings. And uh, the amazing thing, Doug, is I went to Hope as a you know as a kid from uh, from West Michigan, yeah. and it just changed my life. It completely yeah. changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, I went to Harvard after Hope for graduate school. Uh, from there, I spent eight years what, working what in government. Hap what happened there? So go back. So it yeah. changed. It. What What happened there that said, okay, I'm, I, maybe I'm going this yeah. way. I'm going I'm, I'm, to. We're going to yeah. scrape. The family's going to sacrifice. We're going to get this education, and then. You said something changed. What, what was well, it? I mean, I think I think I got a great education. Yeah. I got a great education in the context of a decidedly Christian atmosphere. Right. And a couple of things uh, happened for me there as I got to know myself better by getting to know my creator better. Yeah. And yeah. I therein not, it wasn't just an education. It really was a transformational 
experience. a transformational experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I discovered who I am. I discovered who God is. I discovered a little bit of my purpose. And I think I'm still on the journey to sure. fully discover that. All? That's We're right. all I think on that journey. Right. I think that's right. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's what 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 uh, it, it did for me. And, um, you know, all the research shows that higher education can and should be the great equalizer. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, there's an economist at Harvard named Raj Chetty. And his work is really stunning. His work shows that if a low-income kid and a high-income kid go to the same college, they have the same opportunities for success after they graduate. College is the great equalizer. And it's not income inequality that that we ought to be talking about. It's education inequality. And my story shows it. My story, you know, coming from basically no connection. I I interrupted, so keep going. Keep going on. You're at Hope. You're transforming. You went on to Harvard. So so talk about that. Yeah, so great education, went to Harvard for graduate school, and then had the the privilege of of having really interesting work. I I spent uh, about the first eight years of my career in government. I did two stints in Washington, D.C., one in the White House and one at the Treasury Department. And in between, I worked for the governor of Massachusetts, who was Mitt Romney, right. uh, for a while doing uh, uh, economic policy advice. That was the first half of my career. The second half of my career. I'm sure you got a few stories from I've that. Got well, some that stories. we'll save that for another <laughs> maybe, podcast. Yeah, we'll yeah, do that another time. Some off the record stories, too. We yeah. to. uh, and, then, and then I made uh, the first pivot of my career, and I went from the public sector to the private sector. And I spent 11 years working on Wall Street, about six of those years working for the New York Stock Exchange in New York mm-hmm. City, and then uh, about five, uh, five-ish years uh, working at a boutique investment bank. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of a startup bank, and they were at the point of pivoting from a startup to an established firm, and they hired me uh, with some other folks to kind of uh, help professionalize the firm. And it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And then uh, a little more than three years ago, the craziest thing in my whole life happened. Uh, I was invited by the Board of Hope to come yeah. back and serve as uh, serve as the president. Yeah. And uh, it's been amazing. I never, never in my wildest dreams saw this being in my career path. But talk talk about yeah. that journey. So it seems yeah. easy from just being contacted to having it happen. There's a little more, wasn't there, <laughs> in that process of, oh, well, uh, yeah. uh, of how you approached it? Is, is, a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I was on the board of Hope. Yeah. Uh, so um, so I, and I stayed pretty connected with Hope from, yeah. f- from the time I graduated to uh, to when they invited me back. So it wasn't um, you know, it certainly was a relationship that uh, was was well known, both from from my perspective and from the institution's perspective uh, it was on the board of Hope when they started a search for uh, for the next president. Um, a couple of fellow, a couple of my fellow trustees uh, reached out to me independently. These were both people I had never had a conversation with outside of uh, outside of board meetings, and they both reached out to me out of the blue. And they kind of said, "Hey, Matt, I think you should throw your hat in the ring for this job." And my first response was, "No way! Like that's crazy. <laughs> it doesn't make sense for my career, and I'm not sure it really makes sense for Hope." But yeah. by all um, you know, measure is a pretty traditional uh, academic institution. And here I was, you know, in my late 30s, not an academician. And, um, and it, I, my initial reaction was, I, I'm not sure this makes sense. But I'll say this, as I started to think about it, and as I started to pray about it, it just became, it moved from something that I never could imagine myself doing to suddenly something that I couldn't imagine myself not, not doing. doing. Yeah. And when I applied, I think at first I thought, well, well at the very least I'll help shape the conversation. Yeah, yeah. But as yeah. I moved through the process, I just couldn't imagine not doing this job. And it just is, um, now it's one of those remarkable things where I feel like it's just the perfect puzzle piece that fits my life kind of all together. And in, you know, in a way that only only God can orchestrate these career paths. Yeah. I actually think, while completely uh, not non you know completely unconventional, um, uh, I actually think the jobs I did before this actually prepared me really well for yeah. being a college president. Yeah, but they wouldn't be on the normal resume totally. path, right? Yeah. 
That's right. Yeah. N- not at all. And if I, you know, if I was sitting in college and thought to myself, you know what I want to do with my life? I want to be a college president. Yeah. What I would have done is followed the traditional path: sure. become an academic, then become a department chair, then become a dean, then become yeah. a provost, yeah. and then uh, aspire to be a president. Yeah. And uh, you know, God took me on a totally different journey. Yeah. But uh, but that journey prepared you in different ways. To- and, yeah. and sometimes, you know, God takes us on, I think on right. those sorts of adventures. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think, um, you know, the years I spent in government were really helpful in, in a lot of ways for preparing me. The White House and Treasury. Job. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the governor of Massachusetts. And, and, um, I- this job, first of all, it's not an academic job. And, um, you know, in some ways, if everyone at an academic institution is an academic, no one can be an academic. You need someone who's called to do things other than teaching and research, like right. running the organization and right. doing fundraising and setting a vision. Uh, so it's actually not an academic job. Um, a lot of people think it's a CEO job, and it's actually not a CEO job either. It's in a in an odd way. It's more of a political job. You think about a, a college campus, and it's kind of like a uh, a small town. And on any given day, we have. Uh, academic events and lectures and classroom uh, activities going on. We have athletic events. We have theater and art performances. We have construction projects. We have you know over 3,000 students living on our campus 24-7. Right. So just all kinds of stuff that happens. And, uh, and in many ways, it sort of feels like, uh, you know, like being a mayor of a small town, yeah, yeah. more than being a CEO and certainly more than, than an academic job. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, so you're the mayor of this town. You're the <laughs> yeah, president right. of, this, of, this, uh, of this school now. And, and you've gotten there in a unique way. You're serving yeah. on the board and all of a sudden you yeah. get approached and, yeah. and, then, and then your eyes open. And you go, wow, maybe God's calling me to do this. And you become more and more yeah. convinced and impacted that this is what what you need to do. And, and so now here you are. Yeah. And, and here's this amazing institution that's yes. been operating for well over 100 years. 161 years. 161 years. And, and uh, so I got that right. It's well over 100. <laughs> that's right, that's right. I, I got some I had some math I got to work on. Uh, so it, this institution has Every and it's you know connected with a deep faith base yes, in, in, yes. from the Reformed Church, so it, it has every excuse to stay the course. That's right. Yes. It has every excuse because to a certain extent, there's nothing wrong. This has been a, a, a great school, but perhaps looking under the hood, if you will, or getting close to it and not looking back yeah. but looking forward, you would see some areas where it could be better. Is, is, how, how would you yeah. say you approach the the early stages? Once this became real, yeah. how did you approach the early stages to say, how do we disrupt the college That's right. status quo here at Home yeah. College? Well, the first thing I would say is when the board had the guts to hire me, and it yeah. did take guts. Yeah. I was 39 years old when the board hired me. I'm in my fourth year, so I'm 43 now. The average age of a college president in the United States today is 62 years old. So I, I could have, uh, I said this to the board when they hired me, I can do this job for more than two decades and still not even be, be the, at the average age. <laughs> uh, so I was young by any uh, by any way you would measure it. And, and, uh, and then, of course, I was not an academician. And 85% of college presidents in the United States today uh, rose to their job through the traditional way. So there's, 
you know, there's a there's a, a small minority of college presidents that are younger, a small minority of college presidents that are not academicians. If you do a Venn diagram, there's like no one in the middle, <laughs> no one who's both young and a, a non-academic. So it really took guts from the board to hire me. But I think what the board was saying is a couple of things. I think um, uh, the, the board was saying, uh, first of all, that the, the, the world of higher education desperately needs innovation and disruption. And who better than a place called hope? And we are a strong institution. We're, we're not, you know, there was, this was not, uh, this was a gutsy move, but it was not a move out of desperation. Right. Uh, hope is strong. In fact, we have a record uh, record enrollment this yeah. year with our yeah, freshman amazing. class. So yeah. it, was, it was done from a point of strength. But the board was saying the, you know, the, the world of higher education desperately needs innovation and disruption. And who better than a place called hope to run toward, uh, to run toward that challenge? Uh, I think one thing that's true, and you know, Clay Christensen and lots of others have written about this, innovation in general, what in any sector, public, private, nonprofit, innovation in general doesn't come from the top of the pyramid. Yeah. You know, in higher education, I don't believe innovation is gonna come from the incumbents. Why? Because they have their incumbency to defend. Yeah, sure. It's not gonna come from the Ivy Leagues and the name brand institutions, because they have to defend their reputation. It's gonna come from places like Hope that are nimble uh, and uh, have the appetite for innovation. And that's what the board was saying. We've got a strong institution, an institution named Hope, and we wanna do something from our position of strength to lead. Uh, what's amazing, here, this is like stunning to me. There are 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States. If you, we, we could interview all 4,000 uh, wow. presidents. They all know the business model's broken, every single one of them. Nobody's really doing anything interesting about it. All of them are waiting around for someone else to solve the problem. And most of them are looking to government to solve the problem. And the kind of conversations that our political leaders are having are so misaligned. Uh, they're either saying, oh, we ought to have free tuition, which is ridiculous. Right. Higher education can never be free. It's always gonna be very expensive. The question we ought to ask is who should pay for it and when? Right. And the other thing they're talking about is uh, loan forgiveness. Yeah. And I mean, we can all have our various opinions on that. I think it's, it's, it's for a stable financial system, you, you really, you, you can't have loan forgiveness. It's just okay. a terrible precedent to set. But that's mm. beside the point. The point is that loan forgiveness does not solve the problem. Right. The problem is, access and affordability and loan forgiveness does nothing to solve the problem. Right. So uh, yeah, I think what the board was saying when they hired me is we want to run toward the problem of uh, access and affordability. The, the academics at Hope are very, very strong. Uh, we're 22nd in the nation for undergraduate uh, research. We just passed Berkeley last year. We just passed Cornell this year. So uh -huh. we're hanging with the big dogs there in terms you go. of our academics. Yeah, our academics are really, really strong. Uh, what the board was saying is can we uh, be a place that has really strong academics and uh, provide a leadership perspective when it comes to the funding model of higher right. education. Right. So that's right. what the board hired me to do. And like, when they said it, like, that sounds amazing. I'm, yeah. I, what, what, uh, what could be more fun and fulfilling than coming back to a place that served me so well as a yeah. student and with this, uh, not just air cover from the board, but this almost encouragement. Like yeah. the board would be disappointed in me if they hired me and I did the status quo. Like right. they, they did not hire a young non-academic to come in and, and do the status quo. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so I think that's fascinating. I, I'm yeah. sure, I, I hope our listeners really understand the scope of how unique it is and how, you know, how important it is for the board to give somebody like you that level of, opportunity mm. and yeah. to say, really, yeah. hey, we're looking for this rather than, hey, That's just right. come on in here and just keep it going or even just optimizing. You right. can just optimize, just, yeah. you know, just kind yeah. of make it a little better. But they said, we're ready to transform, we're really to build on our strengths and do something different. Yes. And, and, and so talk a little bit. So what's that kind of look like to you? And so what are the ideas in, in your mind 
that you're putting forth and without trying to, 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 to judge or, or look at other institutions, yeah. what are the ideas in your mind, not only the program, but the ideas behind it or the principles behind it, it, it that, that seem in your mind to resonate to say, this is going to change the game. This can be yeah. Yeah. a real example yeah. that we're going to do something different. Well, I, it's a, a great question. I love that question. I, I think um, the way we think about this at Hope is, uh, you know, let's, you know, we can talk about why the business model is broken. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think yeah, uh, th there's lots of things we could point to, and we can have that conversation. Uh, what we hey, well, we, and we will. Okay. We'll, we'll go okay. back okay. to it. We'll, 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 we'll do a little of that, too, <laughs> because I think it's important for. Well, and maybe if you want to, you know, just sure. stop with some of your. Okay. Start. Why don't you start with some of your observations? Because I, and I wanted to come back to you talk yeah. about, and, and maybe I'd expand it to education in general ah, to being okay. the great equalizer. I, I totally agree. With that. And, yeah, thank and, you. And, thank and, you. Doug, and helpful. so, in so many ways, you you, you said or that we may be focusing in the inequality thing at the wrong place. We're focusing on income, which is actually the output. The it's input the output. is education. Okay. Um, so this is yeah, a, yeah. this is an input question, not an output. That's right. I, I, income is the result uh, of, and, and could I say, education all the way through a young person's life. You're trying to address a societal issue that 100%. that that could be that is taking a lot of resources in one direction, and you're saying. We should maybe 100%. take those resources in another direction to solve the problem. You got it. Because, yeah. you know, so, so explain, so talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I bit. think um, I'll start really high level and then go to the more specific uh, problems that we identified with the business model of higher ed. Yeah. I think at a high level, you said it so well, Doug. I, I think, um, you know, our, our, our world, our country is in such a strange place right now. Uh, the, I think the brokenness of our world has never been more evident, yeah. at least in my lifetime. Uh, there are so many charged and divided conversations we're having. Uh, the way I see it, I, I think actually there's one big question underneath a lot of the conversations we're having. And to me, the big question feels like, are we really going to be a land of opportunity for all? Mm. Or are we going to be a land of privilege for a few? And as I diagnose that question, I think the answer is not going to come uh, from the political sphere. I think it's actually going to come from the education, uh, the educational sphere. Uh, because, as we said, education is the is the great equalizer. Yeah. Uh, so we set out to be, you know, we can't solve this problem for every institution, but we set out to uh, at least solve it for ourselves and therein hopefully provide an example that others could follow. Uh, we started with a diagnosis of what the, what the problem is, uh, lots of ways we could diagnose it. We pointed to two big things that we think are uh, contributing to the rising cost of higher education, which, by the way, is crazy. I mean, if you <laughs> if you look just at my lifetime, so I was born in 1979, okay. the cost of a college education uh, has gone up by 907 percent in my lifetime. So 907 percent. Can you? What's a comparable to? So the uh, average wage, the the wage of an average American, same uh, same time horizon, my lifetime has gone up by 223 percent, which means, and every, you know, the whole world is talking about inflation right now, right. and that's very real. But even after you adjust for wage inflation, the cost of higher education is still 4x, the four times, four, four times greater than the, uh, the than the, the, what Americans are. Uh, are being paid. Okay. Uh, so. Uh, okay. So that's a huge thing. So you would think that's a good place to start. Yeah. Well, that, that's, <laughs> okay. yeah Observing that's, that, that's that bit of information. Is why, why is that happening? Yeah. Uh, we pointed to two big things. And the first one is maybe somewhat counterintuitive. Uh, the first one actually is the availability of student loans themselves. 
Uh, student loan programs in the United States date back to 1944. Uh, student loan programs were first uh, uh, they, they were first originated in the name of making access to education uh, more available and ultimately making access to the American dream more available. Yeah, and yeah. you know that all sounds great. Like all in favor, raise your hand. That yeah. sounds amazing. We all want that. Uh, but call it the law of unintended consequences because as access to student loans went up, so too did the price of tuition. And it makes sense, right? If, sure. uh, uh, if students can borrow money and borrow money essentially without limit, then there's no incentive on colleges and universities to keep the cost keep down. The cost. They can raise the price every year and then direct students to student loan programs to make up the difference regardless of how much that difference became. Right. So in a somewhat uh, counterintuitive way, student loan programs themselves, in our view, actually has contributed to, uh, contributed to the problem. Right. Uh, the second thing we looked at is how scholarships are funded at most colleges and universities today. And this was was informative for me and just was something I didn't had never focused on before I really dug into it. But essentially, uh, most colleges, unless either unless you either have a giant endowment or you're just doing you're on a completely different business model, most colleges and universities are essentially running their own redistribution schemes. Hmm. Uh, so if you we'll take hope for an example, um, the uh, the average. Uh, uh, the, the average price that a student pays to come to Hope is $20,000. That's the average price. So let's call that our, you know, our market price. If every student paid that price, that's, you know, that's, um, uh, that's what would make our budget work. Okay. Uh, but our sticker price is more than double that. And what it means then is that anyone who's paying more than $20,000 is paying for their own education and they're subsidizing scholarships for someone else. Okay. Because what we could, you could say, well, why don't you just set the price point at $20,000? But there's two problems with that. One is that there are actually some families who are willing and able to pay a whole lot more. And the other problem is there are some students who we want to have come to Hope, but they can't afford even the $20,000 price point. So what we're doing to fund scholarships is a pay-as-you-go scholarship model where some families are paying more than they need to pay so that other families can benefit from uh, fr from those scholarships. And, um, you know, we can, we, we can, yeah. we can have a, a, a conversation about the ethics of that, you know, right. uh, do we think it's okay to charge different people different prices for the same uh, educational experience? Uh, that's actually, in my view, is all beside the point. The point is that that system has actually enabled the price to go up every year because uh, colleges are running this redistribution scheme, which actually gives them an incentive for the uh, richest families to charge as high as they think those families are willing to pay yeah. uh, so that they can uh, take their money then essentially and use it for scholarships and research and other purposes. When they could just ask them to give it. Then it would be a philanthropic tax deductible gift. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, but it, it's interesting. You you touch a couple things maybe yeah. to, to, to uh, explore a touch further. You talked about you talk about the business model. A lot of us, when we think of education, we would separate it from business, but it's a business. Like you said, you're running a small town. You're running a, you know, you, know, yeah. you, you got you know all these things going on, and you got to figure out how to fund it. So there's a business model there. And then the second thing you touched on was, in, in some of your examples, misaligned incentives. Yeah. So there's no incentive. Yes. To keep the costs down, maybe right. just expand a little bit about that or... or 100%, yeah. Um, we're, we're a non-profit, so we're not a business. We're a non-for-profit, non but we do have a business model. And obviously we have 
employees and buildings, and we have to make the budget work. Right. Uh, so there certainly is a, a business model, even though right. I wouldn't necessarily think of ourselves as, as a, a business. business. Correct, correct. Um, that's, that's a better way to say it than yeah. what I did. So you're yeah. much more artful. Well, I, as a college president, you're much better than <laughs> I am. I don't know about that. Getting the right words. Um, yeah, in terms of the misalignment of incentives, I think we talked about it. I think it's um, uh, you know the fact that uh, there's really no there, there's no natural stakeholder in higher education that's pushing colleges to keep the cost low. And when you unpack that, and this is not just true, this is true, I think, in, in every college and university. You know, if I think about who are my primary constituents, my biggest constituents would be uh, students, faculty, and the board. And in an interesting way, all three of those constituents are actually aligned and they're all pushing costs higher. Students on one hand will say, yeah, we want this to be more affordable. But then on the other hand, we'll say, but we want nicer dining halls, we want better residence halls, we want more amenities, we want climbing walls, lazy rivers, we want all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. All the things they're asking for is actually pushing the cost higher. Faculty, same sort of dynamic. They'll say, yeah, we want this to be more accessible, but we want uh, you know, academic independence, which often, of course, means budgetary independence. Yeah. We want uh, more programs, more research centers. We want things that push the cost higher. The board, you could argue, the board should be the constituency that's looking over my shoulder saying, can't we do this? Uh, you know, a little more productively. But the kind of conversations most boards are having in the world of higher education today, boards are talking about things like competitiveness. How do we make our college more competitive? How do we make our rankings go up? Yeah. Well, the way you become more competitive, the way you make your rankings go up is you build more stuff. <laughs> and that too contributes to the cost going up. So in a crazy way, all of the stakeholders in higher education are all aligned and they're all aligned to push the cost up. Uh, and what's happening now, and I think we've seen this over the last decade or so, is that it's just breaking down. Yeah. And finally, students and families are saying, this, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to pay this anymore. And what we're seeing, sadly, is too many students deciding not to go to college. Right. Ten years ago, 70% of high school graduates were going to college. Today, it's 62%. Now, the pandemic had some, uh, you know, had, some of that is due to the pandemic, but not all right. of it. And um, I think what we see is a world that's losing hope in higher education, sadly. Interesting. And, and, and so, as you say, there's there's no natural stakeholder, but maybe the natural stakeholders are starting to speak a little bit. I think that's right. I think that's exactly what's happening. I think <laughs> right. Exactly and they're starting to come out yeah. and say, hey, yeah. what in the world's going on? I, I, I bought into this. I grew up with this. But now you step back and go, wow. Yeah. And, but you, so I want to get back to the yeah. challenging the status quo or disrupting the status quo. Yeah. You and others like you are going to have to speak up for yeah. the natural because you're in the positions to to make some of those changes to influence the students, faculty, and, and boards, right. and to be a demonstration. So talk a little bit now, maybe since yes. we've kind of framed and given well, a, yeah, a, a exactly. background for your diagnosis or your observations uh, of what's happened. Uh, how how do you yeah. look to address it? Well, again, the good news is the board hired me uh, to do this, and so uh, so we're going after it. Uh, I, uh, I just started my fourth year as, as the president of hope. I basically spent two years with the board and with our constituents talking about, uh, the problem, how we diagnose it and what we think we can do about it. Uh, and last summer, summer of 2021, we, uh, launched a, an initiative that we're calling hope forward and we call okay. it hope forward because it's a essentially a pay it forward vision for funding one's college education. And, uh, and that's what we're going after. Okay. So talk talk yeah. about that, and, and then presumably yeah. it starts to align the incentives. It does, and, and starts to address that that the the, the cost or the value right. proposition balances out a little bit. More. Yeah, that's right. 
So uh, at, a, at a basic level, if you step back and think about the way college is funded today, basically it's funded through two ways. One is a pay-as-you-go mechanism where you pay your college or university a, a, a lot of money mm -hmm. uh, through tuition bills at the start of every semester. Uh, the second way it can be funded is pay it back, where you're actually paying a bank or a lender after you graduate because you funded it through debt. And of course, most people pay through some combination of the two, mm -hmm. pay-as-you-go and pay it back. And what we said is, what if we could just throw all that out the window? What if we could start with a blank sheet of paper? What would we want to design? What would work for our institution? What would connect with our mission and what we're trying to do? And we came up with, we're, we're simply calling it Hope Forward because it uh, envisions a pay-it-forward mechanism for funding one's college. And the way we envision this working is students come to Hope and don't pay anything up front. Rather, they commit, they sign it, we call it a covenant. Mm -hmm. uh, they sign something agreeing to give uh, every year for the rest of their lives something to the institution after they graduate. Right. We don't specify an amount or a percentage of income because we want it to be a, a philanthropic gift, yeah, something yeah. that's truly given out of generosity. And what they're doing then is they're paying it forward. They're investing in the generations of students who come after them. So one way to think about that business model is it's a um, there's two ways to think about it in kind of a uh, modern economic terms. One is that it's moving from a, a pay-for-service model to a subscription model. Okay. Today, students are basically paying for a, a degree, a four-year degree. Under this model, they're basically, uh, by definition up front, when they're uh, agreeing to be part of Hope Forward, they're agreeing to subscribe to our institution, not for four years, but for their entire lifetime. Right, right. And we're excited about what that means for all kinds of things, um, lifetime learning and all, all, all kinds of things. Another way to think about uh, this model is it's sort of like a crowdfunded model, so that yeah. once we're fully living into it, our alumni will be crowdfunding our current students. Mm -hmm. And we then become a community that's taking care of itself. We're not dependent on anyone from the outside. We're not dependent on government assistance. We become a community that's taking care of itself, which, by the way, is exactly the way the Bible talks about how Christian communities ought to function, mm -hmm. communities that are taking care of themselves, right. where members of the community are looking out for other members of the community. Right, right. So that's basically the idea. And what, what, you'll, what you're probably thinking is, well, that sounds like a really interesting idea. How in the world can you transition from a tuition-based model to this essentially gift-based model? That's exactly what and I was going to ask. I'm so glad you raised that. <laughs> the transition is extremely complicated. That's how. It, that's the answer. Um, uh, so we're doing two things. If you if you think about a pay-it-forward model in a very simple uh, in a very simple context, you might go into a coffee shop. And by the way, this happens in West Michigan. I lived in New York City for 11 years. This never happened in Manhattan. <laughs> uh, but every once in a while, I go into a coffee shop in uh, in West Michigan, and uh, and the barista will say, "Oh, the person in front of you paid for your coffee." Yeah. So what I'll then I'll do then is I'll say, "Well, that was so generous. Yeah. I'll pay for the person behind me." Yeah. And it keeps going that way. Yeah. But for some. Uh, for it to get started, someone had to pay twice. Yeah. Someone had to pay for their own coffee and the person behind them. Right. And so we're in basically a, a fundraising mode now to try to sort of kickstart uh, kick this, uh, this pay-it-forward model sure. so that we can have a, basically you can think of it as kind of an endowment, but it'll be a spend-down endowment over time right. because as the gifts come in, then that will offset what, uh, what we raise up front. So right. we're basically trying to kickstart it that way. But the second thing we're doing uh, is that we wanted to go ahead and test this model to see how it works. And so while we're doing fundraising to, to eventually uh, roll this out to our entire uh, college community, uh, we decided to go ahead and start. And so we have two cohorts of students. One, our first cohort, they were freshmen last year, so they're uh, just starting their sophomore year, about 20 students in that cohort. And our second cohort is roughly double that size, and they just started their freshman year. Uh, so we have about 60 students who are on our campus right now uh, living into this idea. 
And um, and we love that because we can uh, we can say you know this isn't just an idea it's a reality we're that it. we're that we're living into and dang we are learning a lot and I would say this everything so far has broken to the high side and okay. we have uh, we have um, four or five kind of key metrics that we're that we're watching in order to determine success and you know we're open to. Uh, assessing and course correcting along the way if we need to, but so sure. far everything has just broken. It, it's very early days, and we have a small number of students on the on the model. But it's it's uh, uh, what we're okay. what we're what we're observing is that it's uh, not just a new financial model. It's actually uh, we think going to lead to a healthier and better uh, learning environment. Right, right. Well, that's that's fa I, I yeah. love that you're starting it. Yeah, yeah. It's one thing to think of it and that's talk right. about it. That's right. It's and another. Th it's it. another, another thing, thing to say. It. Hey, you're going to school for free. Yeah, but we're going to ask you to sign this covenant, and then it's we're going to trust you to give back what you feel led to give back financially right. to this institution yeah. over the rest of your life because this is the this is the deal. So you get to drive the car and then pay for it. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> Down right. The road. So, so I, I, a couple implications always come yeah, to me exactly. as, as I think yeah. about this. So, so what impact does that have? on the degrees you offer mm -hmm. and how you connect them to maybe income potential of a, of a student in the future or how you accept and, and bring people into into the school and are there natural or forced limitations on what the model might be able to handle as you make this transition help us understand yeah, a couple things that maybe you you had talked about as you started this transition. Totally, yeah, you threw a lot of questions into that question, Doug. I'll try to unpack it. Uh, <laughs> let's see. So I think um, for us, it's, one question I often get is, could this work anywhere? And I think maybe it could. I think mm -hmm. for us, it's so deeply connected to our Christian mission yeah. that um, we're very confident it will work for our community. Yeah, yeah. And at the, at the, it's like at the end of the day, if you really boil down in a very simple way, if you boil down the message of the gospel, mm -hmm. the message of the gospel is you are covered, yeah. now go and live differently. Yeah. Your mistakes are covered, your sins are covered, yeah. now go and live a different kind of life. Yeah. And that's precisely what we want to say to our students. Yeah. You're covered, your tuition's covered. Yeah, yeah. You, you're not graduating with debt, so go and live a different kind of life. Live a life that's motivated to bring hope to hopelessness. Yeah. And so for us, it's like so connected to our mission yeah. that... Um, uh, like I said, everything so far has just broken to the high side, and I think it's because of that, because this is so uh, inextricably linked to who we are as an institution yeah. called Hope. Um, I, you, you mentioned incentives, and I think the incentives are really interesting, and it's sort of like the old C.S. Lewis quote. Um, on the surface, this sounds like a simple idea, pay it forward. Yeah, but yeah. It, the C.S. Lewis quote is further in and further up, and it just keeps getting deeper the more we, the, 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 the further in we go. One of the things we've observed with regard to incentives is in a very interesting way, uh, this gift-based model actually aligns incentives so that we as an institution are highly incentivized to help students get what they want, which is a successful life. Uh, because not to be too crude about it, but the more successful our students are, the more opportunities they'll have to give. To but give it's to the more than just a grade, or it's more than just a diploma. It's that totally. they're fully prepared to be a light in in the world. That's it. And because they've committed to a lifetime relationship with our institution, and we've committed to the same, by the way. Mm -hmm. So the covenant they sign, I sign it on behalf of the institution, and the student signs it. So it's, we're entering, in, entering into this sort of covenantal uh, relationship with our students that will extend through their lifetime. Uh, which means they're going to be connected to us in a cool way. They're going to be a, a stakeholder. I think of them almost as shareholders, yeah. like there's yeah. accountability there. Uh, and in, in a very 
a compelling way. I think it sort of democratizes our alumni base so that our alumni base aren't just graduates of the institution. They're literally invested in our institution. Yeah. They're yeah. giving something to our institution every year. And uh, you know, Jesus has this line where he says, where your money is there, your heart will be. And yeah. people never really pay attention to what he's saying. <laughs> what he's saying is that where you give your money, your heart will follow. Yeah. He's not saying the opposite. He's not saying you'll give to what you care about. He's yeah. saying what you give to determines what you care about, yeah. which means that as our students give to hope, they're going to be invested in our success and they're going to care about us. They're going to be looking over our shoulder. They're yeah. going to be saying, can't you do this a little better? Shouldn't you offer this degree? Should you do maybe this a little differently and i'm excited about that i'm yeah. excited to have an alumni base that's engaged i'm excited to have kind of a you know a sense of shareholder almost that yeah. i don't have i don't feel like i have that today yeah, yeah. interesting interesting yeah. and so i can i continue to to just you know think as this rolls out there's going to have to be some level of challenge that you're going sure. to get because there's going to be somebody who's a, a past attendee who's paying their money and there's going to be something that a future college president at hope is going to they're going to make a decision of that that this person may or may not agree with uh, or may disagree with yeah uh, or there's going to have something happen um but you just have to have faith to go forward with it anyway and that's is, right. is that how you're looking at i mean I, I can think of all these things that can go wrong. They go wrong in families. They go wrong in communities. Sure. They go wrong sure. in alumni groups. Um, yeah. uh, but you just got to I, I think that's right. Faith. I think one of the things we're aspiring to do, which, by the way, is becoming uh, incredibly rare, not just in higher education, but in the world, which is to be a community of people who hold different convictions, but we hold together. Yeah. And we can disagree without being divided. Like, that's, that's the thing our country can't figure out right now. <laughs> And uh, for us at Hope, because we're this Christian community, you know, we're we're um, uh, we're held together by some common convictions about mm -hmm. who God is and what He's done for us. And around those core convictions, there's so much room for vibrant disagreement. Sure. And so, yeah, I, I you know, I, I mean, I, I get them all the all the time. People sure. reaching out saying, "I don't, I, I disagree with what you did." I'm I sure you do. <laughs> I get them from all all directions. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think what we're aspiring to be is a community where we can. We can do that. We can disagree without being divided. And uh, I think what's troubling, and this is maybe a different conversation, but in higher education today, you see institutions that are basically uh, intentionally or unintentionally kind of putting themselves right of center or left of center. And we don't want to do that. We want to be a community that uh, has lots of room for disagreement. Okay. Uh, and as soon as you say, um, you know, we're open to free inquiry, we're open to freedom of expression at our institution, but... Uh, you know, we're going to have a, a decidedly right, a le left of center stance on things or a right of center stance on things, then like all of a sudden you've given up what I think the purpose of college is to begin with, which is to challenge students with different uh, ideas, sure. different sets of convictions, and to actually put big questions on the table and roll around yeah. uh, in, in those questions together. I, I think I actually think that's a lot of fun. It's so fun. Um, it's so fun. And so it, I'm, I'm curious about how you've seen that happen. Have yeah. you seen some of that happen? Are you seeing that? Because again, the messages that are generally, you know, that are generally shown in the media is one side or the other. That's right. And, yeah. and uh, but I don't think that's generally America. I don't think that's generally Michigan. I don't think that's, that's right. generally yeah, Holland that's right. and certainly not Hope College um, because there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the middle. That's right. People may start from one side or the other, but they can still be friends, can't they? Totally. Yeah, totally. And this is, so you asked about examples. I think um, one place I often start is the commencement speech that Michael Bloomberg gave at Harvard a few years ago. And he had the courage in his commencement speech to point out something really uncomfortable uh, based on uh, 
public records of campaign contributions. He said 96% of your faculty uh, who, who gave money, yeah. uh, 96% of, of your faculty who gave money to a political candidate gave money to Democrats. Right. So basically 96% of your faculty uh, have the same political perspective. Right. And so he, and like, you know, that's a serious problem. <laughs> that's a serious problem if uh, if you claim to be open to free inquiry, uh, but your, your institution is, is tilting dramatically one way or the other. And the problem is, uh, a lot of places say, well, if the Ivy Leagues are tilting left of center, we have to we have to tilt right of center to uh, to counterbalance them. And that's like a, that's a fight bias with bias approach. And we've seen how that worked in the media. And it kind of turned into a disaster, like the same phenomenon that we're seeing in higher education today. Uh, people started to point that out in broadcast news 25 years ago. And. People said, well, the journalistic institutions that we've trusted to give us unbiased reporting seem to be tilting left of center. So what we ought to do is start our own stations, our own websites, our own news outlets that are, are equally tilted, but they're tilting right of center. And it's just turned into this free-for-all where now fake news is pro proliferating. 25 years ago, that was unthinkable. Yeah. And the problem is we're starting to see the same kind of direction in higher education. And it's a problem. It's really a problem. And uh, we just don't, at, at Hope, we do not want to take that path. We want to be a place that, uh, again, within a decidedly Christian context, uh, facilitates lots of room for disagreement. And, and, and that's where I, I wanted to go, because uh, I want to touch on that. I'd, I'd like yeah. to hear you exp expand on that just a little bit more, because when it comes to national matters, political matters, yeah. You, you know, free free speech. I, I, I'm involved with the National Constitution Center in, in, in Philadelphia. Yeah. Talk, we talk about this all the time yeah. about you know, about the the wide range of views and how important that is. But you're a decidedly very specifically dedicated Christian community, which which brings with it a, a, a set of responsibilities. And, and so, how do you yeah. how do you keep that flow going without trying to bring our faith? into it to pick one side or the other? It's a great question. Yeah, I think that's the, you 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 put your finger on kind of the, the tension point. I think the way we think about this at our institution is we want to be a place that can truly put all the big questions on the table. And when I say big questions, I mean the biggest questions. Who am I? Why in the world am I here? Does any of this make sense? Uh, is there a God? And the interesting thing is that, um, uh, at, you know, certainly at, at Big secular research institutions, they're not asking questions, is there a God? Right. They presume to know the answer to that. <laughs> uh, and the answer is no. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, at a lot of uh, hope, we, we have a decidedly Christian mission, but we try to apply it in an invitational way. So none of our students sign faith statements. No one's required to go to chapel, nothing like that. Right. Uh, we will uh, welcome anyone and everyone from any faith background or no faith background at all. Right. For our faculty, we hire committed Christians. So we have a, a you know, somewhat different application of our Christian mission than and uh, some other institutions that sure. might have a more sure. prescribed uh, way of uh, and that's a way to Christian think mission. about it too. You know, I, I, I think sometimes we limit Christ and his teachings by getting them on our side or another side. I, right. I, yeah. think, I think I <laughs> think I think the story of the Bible is far beyond uh, anything we can well, uh, comprehend or try to limit it to. You got it. As we say, all people need hope. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so we want to be very invitational about yeah. uh, students who come to hope. But that's a, and, that's a great way to say it, invitational, yes. to, to invite somebody to, to, to come in. You have some standards. You, this is your institution. It's your mission, as you said, with your faculty. And, yeah. Uh, but you, you want to invite the... That's right. We have yeah. standards about who we hire. And then from yeah. a student perspective, we invite anyone who wants to be part of our community. And what it allows 
allows us to do, going back to these big questions, it allows us to put these big questions on the table in a really authentic way. And at the end of the day, like these questions, who am I? Is there a God? Does any of this make sense? These aren't religious questions. These are human questions. Yeah. They're questions that all of us, uh, we're all thinking about. And what we're trying to do is provide a, uh, a structured format to guide our students through yeah, these yeah. Uh, through these big questions. But and, and invite again, I, I was in, in a previous conversation, as you talk about education, a lot of times it's how do you tell somebody what to believe on this subject or that subject, or even not what to believe, but to, you know, here's the answer, and I'm going to transmit it from my yeah. mind as a teacher right. to your yeah, mind as right. a student. Well, but I've heard some others say, my job as a teacher is just to invite you to explore yeah, that's right. and, and just and just kind of keep giving you information. So talk about we, that a little we, bit, how, you, we how wanna, you look at that. We want to teach students how to think, not what to think. Yeah. As simple as that. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, a, a beautiful thing because we all yeah. we all come at it from different. God made us all That's differently. Right. That totally, yeah. so I you know something really some things really make sense to me, and I'm curious about them, and I want to yeah. pursue them. I want to read about them. I want to go there. Other things, I it just I can't stay awake in the conversation. And I think we all have yeah, some of right. that, don't that's we? Right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, you said it really well. Okay, but we yeah. teach teach people how to, not what to. Yeah, yeah. and that's a that's a great. Uh, thing to be thinking. But the trend in education right now is the opposite. The trend yeah. is to teach students what to think, not how to think. So so you're trying to, so again, is, is if you talk about that trend, is that a status quo or is that developed recently? Is that something um, that that other institutions will find their way through? Because on, on any, again, yeah. the news is right and left. That's right. And so you'll talk, see the right and left picking apart the other institution for teaching something different. Um, so is that is this a fad or a trend or I think how do we a, get out of it? How do we move forward? Uh, uh, well, that's a good question. I wish I wish I had a great answer for that. I, I think it's a function of our charged and divided culture. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a reporter named David Jesse who writes for the Detroit Free Press. And over the summer, he wrote a, a long form article. Like if you print it off, it's 20 pages. Okay. And the headline, I won't get this exactly right, but the headline was something like, the battle over wokeness at Christian colleges isn't just about politics, it's about money. And he's making the case that in a, in a, in a divided culture, in a divided world, uh, in, and in, in a, in, within, within that context, higher education, for the most part, uh, is tilting left of center. Uh, so there's a you can make yourself distinct by saying we're going to be decidedly right of center, mm -hmm. and in a world that's charged and divided, there's money to be had there. There's money to be had by placing yourself uh, on on either extreme. But as soon as you've done that, you've compromised the very purpose of higher education. Like you can't be a place that says we exist uh, for free inquiry yeah. when the answer to every question is predictably on one side of a of a political or, or ideological spectrum. And so I think that's what's happening. I think it's a function of a charged and divided culture. And I think within a charged and divided culture, there's money to be had on the extremes. There's followers to be gained on the extremes. But there's actually a loss of free inquiry and a loss of, in my view, the purpose of higher education. I think the purpose of higher education ought to, as the as the words suggest, ought to be higher. They ought to transcend certain dynamics of our of our world and our culture. And serve that role as an equalizer. Totally. So that That's right. so that people from all different backgrounds can have the same opportunity. Yeah, that's right. To, that's right. to achieve their goals, and, mm -hmm. and and 
you know, I, I could, maybe I could use the word success, but that always has a connotation of financial success. Yeah. So it's it's achieved there their goals, which can be, be certainly beyond. I think the word measures. success works. I think that we try to define success as impact. Mm -hmm. And for some people, impact is financial success. For some right. people, impact looks very, very different. But right, right. So you use that word. Success? Yeah. yeah. So, not, talk, so talk about that. So talk about talk about a little bit, as we're, we're kind of, you know, coming to the close here. Yeah. Talk about, and let me hit it a couple of ways. We've talked about some of the challenges, some yes. of the status quo. Yeah. And Fewer students or families are looking to higher ed. Mm -hmm. More controversy is surrounding higher ed. How do you restore faith in the institution of yeah. higher ed? Not just hope, but in yeah. this whole yeah. institution. Yes. So, yeah. so our society yeah. says, hey, we can trust these people. Yes. And you, we, we've talked about some of the reasons where there's a well-founded mistrust right now, whether it's costs yeah. or other, other right. sorts of yeah. And... and what does that look like when you talk to the student about their success and their future? Yeah. Can, you, can you maybe touch base on, on, on both of those as we kind of wrap I up our discussion? I think in general, the, what I've observed is there's, there's less contention around the product of education where people have lost faith, or I would use the word hope, where people have lost <laughs> hope in higher education is more around how it's funded. Uh, for too many people, it's just, um, uh, it's just inachievable to fund uh, an expensive private liberal arts education, or even a public education at a, at a, at a university. Uh, but for others, even folks who can afford it, it's just, it, it's, it, the, the question is, what's really the ROI? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's where we have work to do. And that's where, you know, when we talked about the Hope Forward vision we have, uh, we're not trying to uh, mess with the academic product very much, although we're very focused on mm -hmm. things like the future of learning and the future of work within our academic conte context. Uh, what we really want to try to innovate around is the funding model. And when you look at um, uh, metrics around, you know, we can put out a broad statement, the world is losing hope in higher education. Then the question is, well, how do you measure that? How, how do you measure mm -hmm. hope in higher education? Sure. Uh, one metric is, uh, you know, we talked about 10 years ago, 70% of students going to 70% of high school graduates going to college today, it's 62%. Uh, when you ask students why they're not going to college, the number one reason is, is financial. Cost. Uh, another interesting metric is percentage of alumni who are giving to their alma mater. And that too is way down and significantly okay. down over the last 10 years. So, uh, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of these metrics have something in common, which is the financial aspect. Yeah. Uh, people don't, people believe the, the financial model, the business model is broken. And um, as we said at the beginning, the amazing thing is no one, in, in my view, well, I should say very few institutions are doing anything really interesting or innovative yeah. about it. Yeah. So we're raising our hand high, yeah. saying we've got, from a position of strength, we've got an idea that we're uh, turning into reality and we're going to see if it works. And if it works here, maybe it could work Excellent. at a lot of places. So roll, roll the clock forward a few years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I'll stay with hope. Yeah. What do you hope for? So so it's five, ten years down the road. You've implemented this yeah. hope forward uh, for a little bit further. You have new cohorts going through. You yep. have new things happening. You uh, describe what what that future could look like in your mind. I, it's a beautiful future where uh, financial access is not a barrier to anybody. None of our students are graduating with debt. Uh, it's a future where uh, because of how we've changed the funding mechanism, the learning environment is healthier. Uh, one interesting thing uh, that we've learned as we've started this journey 
is that, uh, and we're very early in the journey, but we think we're going to show that students actually take their education more seriously, not less, with a pay-it-forward model. Mm. Uh, Why? Because they have uh, skin in the game. They've committed to give their own money, their own hard-earned money to the institution after they graduate. And with the current model, students can't work enough summer jobs or enough side jobs to pay $50,000 a year, which means someone else is funding their education. Their parents, their grandparents, scholarships. Students aren't paying for their education anymore. A few decades ago, students could could work summer jobs and pay for their college education. It's impossible today. You can't do it. Uh, which means students actually don't have financial skin in the game in the current scenario. And there's a there's an economist at UC Merced, uh, Laura Hamilton is her name, and she's doing really interesting research on this. And her research shows a negative correlation between the amount of money that parents pay for one student uh, for for one's education and that student's grade. So she's basically saying the more money your parents pay for your college education, on average, the lower your grades are. She she wrote a book about her research, and her book is called Paying for the Party. And she's, she's basically making the case that to the extent college students are goofing off in college, they're goofing off because they don't feel skin in the game because someone else is paying for it. Someone else is paying for their party. Sure. And uh, with the Hope Forward model, one of the things we're observing very early on is that these students have committed and made this very personal uh, yeah, commitment to give them. their own money, their money, after they graduate. And they're feeling the weight of that commitment in a way that so far what we're seeing is they're actually taking their education even more seriously. So that's what we're excited about, a place that solves the business model. It's completely sustainable because once we're fully living into it, we've got this crowdfunded model that just works and the transition is hard, but once you get to the once you get to the point where you're fully living into it, the numbers are very compelling. And then third, it's actually a better, it's a better learning environment. Yeah. We've moved away from what too often feels transactional um, yeah. into this model that's based on uh, gratitude and generosity. I, I like that gratitude, generosity, not just yeah. a transaction. It's not just right. a business transaction. That's there's right. a business model. There's business principles in running the institution, but it's not a business. I like that's right. how, that's right. how you articulated that as well, and and I think that's really important. Matt Skogan, president of Hope College, thank you so much for your Doug, time. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you. Th- thanks for your insights, your 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 perspectives, your enthusiasm, <laughs> and, and for your desire to serve in this capacity. You know, you you, you had a, a, a great. Uh, preparation, lots of experiences, and God called you to put you right where you are. Thanks. So thanks so much for, for having me. It's great to be with you. All right. Great. Well, thanks. And for all of you, what we've been talking about is uh, you've heard from Matt what he believes, how he believes uh, about higher education, about what can happen at Hope College. And we hope this is informative as you shape your beliefs as well as you think about these issues. We hope that this is a, a discussion that will help you uh, with your perspectives as well. So thanks for joining us. And Matt, thank you for the time. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Believe.